Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the 8th of July. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow and I hope you're having a good weekend. And uh, thanks to Solidarity Breakfast for another interesting program. And that uh, song that you were listening to was Tali Kung by Mia Dyson. Very relaxed piece and it reminds me of that... uh, Paris, Texas type movie, and I can't remember the title, but it's uh, anyone that well, I'm knows I'm glad it. that you mentioned it in that case, Pierre. <laughs> That's right. I'm sure listeners would actually um, know that it's a very particular theme, music. Um, anyway, we won't go into that. Uh, Giselle, um, as God. you said, it's... Um, I don't know. I, I, I might have. I've lots, walked in uh, with attitude this morning, listeners. I might have lots of gods. You know, stop oppressing me, Giselle. Um, it now, is one minute past nine o'clock. I'm sure all of our listeners enjoyed the banter then. But what were you going to say? Who brings you Asia Pacific Currents? Oh, that's right. It's an organisation called Australia Asia Worker Links. Yeah. That's right. And if How you, do, you contact us, if you do want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's dot you can email us at aawl at aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so you can find us on those social media platforms. And you can also give us a ring on nine double six three seven two double seven. And on this program, Giselle, while you've uh, got your lungs full of, of hot air as uh, usual. Hot air. <laughs> Yeah, we what so uh, in the in the second part of the show, we're going to be speaking with Lara Watson, who is new uh, uh, new to the ACTU. She's the Indigenous Officer at the ACTU, and one of the people that is organising the First Nations Workers Alliance. Of course, this is NADOC week, so uh, we wanted to look at Aboriginal workers and. Uh, some of the struggles and um, particularly uh, the ways that the labour movement is working with and organising Aboriginal workers. So Lara Watson in the second part of the program. That sounds uh, really interesting and uh, worth waiting for, but we'll go straight to our uh, news uh, roundup for the the region. I think we've got seven items. And the first one will start from Australia. And just by coincidence, it is about Aboriginal issues. This year marked the 10th anniversary of the anti-intervention. It certainly doesn't... uh, Is it that long ago? Ten years. Uh, And for just to refresh memories, the anti-intervention was a political, social and military takeover of Aboriginal communities, uh, especially around the centre of Australia and desert areas, by the Australian government in order to, um, theoretically, uh, to save its children. The reality has been that it has has done nothing to solve the historical marginalisation of these communities and has just created a new era of powerlessness for Aboriginal communities in Australia. While incredible damage has been done, Aboriginal people and supporters in the union movement have continued to oppose this continuing repression. The fight for Aboriginal rights and against the intervention continues. As we say, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. 
And moving now to the Philippines, Citel is a business process outsourcing firm which owns and runs call centres in the Philippines. This has been a business model based on exploiting unorganised workers earning low wages by shifting call centres from unionised, high-wage countries um, to low-wage countries. The company is now threatening to sack a 1,000 workers from its premises in the export processing zone of Bagao City. Members of the newly formed Citel Philippines Association of Rank-and-File Workers, uh, abbreviated to SPARC, have taken to the streets to protest against these impending job losses, the continued casualisation of its workforce and the intimidation of labour activists. The members of Spark have received strong support from unions in New Zealand and there's a petition in support of their demands. I have to say I like the acronym SPARC and um, I think I've, I've uh, seen something about CTEL being quite a, a major global company as a call centre. So ah, what can I say? Anyway, we now just go just uh, north of the Philippines to in, in Thailand, where there's been more arrests by the military junta. The ongoing suppression of any political dissent in Thailand continued this um, week with the arrest of 10 human rights activists due to them holding a public meeting uh, last year to discuss the constitutional changes which were up for referendum. In another case, 60-year-old uh, Charan Chai Sateng was arrested early this month by the military as he is a long-time campaigner against the Les Majest Law, or Article 112. On the industrial front, the military junta tried to play their nationalist card by passing a draconian law against illegal workers. And this law... Um, um, set out huge fines for these workers and jail terms. Um, this has backfired, though, with uh, many uh, Thai employees unhappy as they use the undocumented status of many of these workers to pay them less in insecure empl- uh, employment situation. And that's uh, what's situation in Thailand. Moving now to Korea, the protest camp outside the headquarters of Samsung Electronics in Seoul to call for justice for workers who have died or fallen ill is fast approaching its second anniversary. The company has a history of vicious anti-union behaviour, which results in toxic working conditions for its workforce. And we mean actually toxic, not just emotionally toxic, which is important. <laughs> That's but, right. But actually the air in those workplaces is toxic. Like life-threatening. <laughs> Correct. A new film called Stories from the Clean Room uses the stories and experiences of Samsung workers to detail the hazardous conditions that they're forced to work in at Samsung's electronics. Sounds like possibly a film candidate for one of our film nights. Indeed, indeed. Uh, we now go um, to South Asia where unfortunately it's one of these bad stories where uh, terror and death has um, striked uh, Bangladeshi workers again. In an event that is tragically too common in Bangladesh, at least 15 workers were, were murdered, with many other injured, injured when Ebola exploded last weekend. The explosion was so powerful that it led to the partial collapse of the four-storey building, as well as the injuring of people in the streets outside. This disaster is only the latest to hit Bangladeshi workers in the last few years. Pressure from worker and human rights organisation has at least pushed the Bangladeshi government to quickly bring charges against a dozen people for this latest massacre of workers. And I have to say this um, factory was actually in the, in the garment uh, sector. No surprises there, unfortunately. <clears throat> 
uh, in India with a Gurgaon industrial belt near New Delhi in India expanding into nearby areas. Hundreds of thousands of more workers are being employed in the factories in these industrial zones. While many of the workers don't have a history of unionisation, the struggles at Maruti Suzuki and at ASIN have shown their willingness to fight. Unfortunately, the response by the companies has often been one of brutality, suppressing any independent union organising. The arrestee workers are the latest group of workers to face this repression, with both company-paid thugs and police attacking them for daring to organise a union and demand better conditions. Yes, and uh, just some more information about that one. Um, the company first sent, sent in thugs to beat them up, and then when it wasn't enough, they called in the police. Um, we stay for our last news item. We stay in um, in uh, in India, where this week the centre of New Delhi saw the continuing demonstration by thousands of Anganwadi women workers demanding better pay and an end to insecure employment. Anganwadi is the Indian term for small community centres, mainly in rural areas that provide basic health care in the areas of sexual health, nutrition, and child development. This is not the first time that Anganwadi women have taken industrial action in India, with major demonstrations occurring in Bangalore early this year. And you were able to see a video of uh, of the um, demonstrations um, in our, on, our, on our website in the next couple of, of days. It, um, I can hardly um, recommend that. It's, um, it's quite good. So um, that's the end of the uh, news round. We'll go to a couple of community announcements and then um, we'll be back with uh, Lara Watson from the ACTU. I often feel the only thing standing between us falling off that precipice and actually fighting our way back up the top of the hill is the trade union movement. I really believe that. We have the numbers, we have the commitment, we have the heart, we have the will to really fight. And the only way we're going to win that fight is to grow the union movement. That was Jed Carney talking up union. Stay tuned to 3CR for more union news. 8.55 on your AM dial or 3cr.org.au. Australia is a crime scene. It's unfinished business, this crime. People don't understand that it was a military exercise. It was military in the first fleet. It was Captain James Cook. It was Captain Arthur Phillip. Right through the history of Australia, it's a military exercise. Our people have suffered greatly because the white man is not prepared to act honourably and legally. It's still the case in this country today. This is 3CR. It is 11 minutes past 9 o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents.
Coming up now is our feature interview for the morning with Lara Watson, the Indigenous Officer of the ACTU. Lara was previously at the Queensland Council of Unions. And of course, listeners will know that this week is NAIDOC week. Um, and here on Asia Pacific Currents, we're looking at the, uh, the current struggles for Indigenous workers. One of the major problems, particularly in the Northern Territory, um, another uh, uh, northern states of um, of the country is that CDP workers, um, workers who are basically working for the dole, um, are not actually classified as workers. Uh, are getting well below the minimum wage. Uh, in fact, uh, slightly less than the dole as well and have virtually no none of their rights protected and certainly none of the rights afforded to workers that are recognised as workers. The ACTU and uh, some local Aboriginal people have formed the First Nations Workers' Alliance, a union of Indigenous people. And to uh, discuss this with us now is Lara Watson. Welcome, Lara. Thanks for having me. So I guess I thought we would start by looking at what's the situation, what are the conditions for workers on CDPs? So... If you've got, um, if an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander worker is on CDP, they're being forced into 25 hours a week employment, which is up to three times more than a city-based job seeker. Uh, they're now working for both the non-for-profit and the for-profit sector. So when CDP was CDEP and had the employment component, private business couldn't actually access CDP workers. They're not covered under the Fair Work Act and they have no federal OH&S protection. Is the way that the federal government gets away with this um, by saying that these people are effectively job seekers and while they're seeking jobs, this is their kind of what that mutual obligation component, is that how they get away with it? Yeah, so CDP participants don't actually or aren't classified as workers. So the legislation they sit under is the Social Security Act. So that that's how the government is manipulating and exploiting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workers is when they're based under the Social Security Act and turning this into a so-called development program um, but you've got workers that are doing jobs that were once paid jobs in these communities. So just to, um, for listeners that might not be um, very um, knowledgeable with the area, how do people get put into these CDB programs in the first place? So if they were on any job-seeking benefits under Social Security, then they would be put compulsory onto CDP um, and they have to do the 25 hours a week. There's quite a few penalties in place if they don't do the 25 hours. You know, they they don't, um, they can't take annual leave, sick leave or carer's leave. And, you know, if they're, if they're hurt on the job site, there's no workers' compensation. So if you do a comparison, say if you've got a worker in a remote community that is doing council work and they're being paid equivalent to a new start allowance 
And then you look at the city and you've got someone doing exactly the same job with a council and are being paid an award rate. It's it's extraordinary the the depth of the discrimination and also the the lack of uh, highlight like the lack of publicity quite frankly around around it. I I just I want to ask one more question about the facts of this before we get to organising and and what we can do. So, the, is CDP specifically for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workers? Is that written in the legislation? And if so, how? How is that not unconstitutional? Um, yeah, so CDP um, is operational in over 1,000 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. You've got the figures we had, the latest figures we had, there were 33,000 workers in total, 31,000 were Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. That's 94%, which is equivalent to the percentage of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders that live in remote communities. So it's obviously a very discriminatory program. And uh, again, just before Giselle um, is really dying to go further into the um, how to fight this, just um, especially because we do have international listeners as well, in terms of these... um, workers are working to get the social security benefits they have to work 24 hours a week Um, it's literally compulsory but what is actually the wage that they get like how much would they would it translate to um, dollars per hour so if you look at perhaps the new start allowance it'll work out to around 11 dollars an hour approximately that's $290 a week. Yep, and the minimum wage, I think, now is around $18 a, a week. Yes, that's correct. So, I mean, it, the situation is absolutely outrageous. I th- I'm absolutely flabbergasted by the information that you're sharing. But, of course, there is an initiative now through the ACTU and presumably from the grassroots up. So pressure from the communities to start organising, but more importantly, to organise industrially around this issue. Tell me about how all of this came to be. Certainly. Uh, so when we, we had uh, CDP workers in communities that were obviously voicing a concern around their working conditions, and what we kind of found is because they don't actually fit within the industrial stream, there wasn't a, a union that could cover them per se. So the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander ACTU committee and CARA at the time in the position I'm in now, we started to look at ways on how we could actually not represent but organise CDP workers and give them the tools and resources they needed for campaign action against their issues. And that's where the First Nations Workers Alliance was formed. So it is being powered by the ACTU um, and it's going gangbusters. I can't believe how it's amazing. We're, within four weeks, we had um, Indigenous and non-Indigenous trade union, unionists throughout the country sign up to take part in the campaign action. So just in four weeks to get 100 blew our minds. And we're heading out to Alice Springs next week to hold a community forum. And it's going to be all around giving 
CDP workers, CDP participants, the training and the skills to organise themselves and the community for action around this particular issue. And what kind of actions can you see coming out of um, that forum in uh, in Alice? You said it was in Alice, yeah? Yeah, Alice Springs. So it'll be held at um, the Alice Springs Town Council Hall uh, next Wednesday. And we've already got a lot of interest because we had CDP, CDP workers in the region already that we were talking to. So this is the first forum we're having and it'll be more about what are the resources and skills they feel they need to be able to do some grassroots organising within the CDP workers and within their communities. From our perspective, it's more about profiling and education and awareness in the broader public what CDP is and that it is exploiting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workers in this country. Now, you also said that um, where once only community organisations were able to employ CDP or CDEP, as it was called beforehand, uh, you're now saying profit organisations, so private companies, can employ these workers at these um, bargain rate wages? Correct. So when... um Prior to the Turnbull government taking the employment out of um, CDP, the program was about skilling, training that will lead to employment opportunities. We had workers that were being paid award rates. So they they weren't working for this doll scheme. Um, And it was just sort of just isolated to non-for-profit areas or community sections that needed a bit of assistance within the community to grow their economic base. Now we've got private businesses that are out in these communities making a profit from our most vulnerable workers and people in, in this country now have the capacity to say, look, we need three CDP workers the job networking agency that covers that area supplies them and they are getting free employment from the government. I can see how that would be um, very advantageous um, for them. But in terms of um, the... So what has this... Um, uh, what has what has been the, the effects on the Aboriginal communities of these programs? Jobs are extremely limited as it is in remote communities. So it's very, there's been a bit of a mixture of emotion around this. So there's been a lot of disempowerment around capacities and working capacity. We have families that are basically starving. You know, you're getting these heavy penalties imposed. If someone's passed away in the family and they're sorry business, you know, people can't access their money for up to eight weeks. Like, they're 70 times more extreme than what they are in city-based job seekers. I think it's important to look at this issue in the context of a few other kind of just to look, I guess, to look at it in context, quite frankly. I mean, one of those contexts which you talked about um, 
is the the basics card. So, you know, at the same time that you've got uh, Aboriginal workers' lives being controlled through the welfare system, then you've got the imposition of the basics card basically saying Aboriginal workers must spend their money in this particular way from these particular stores. And then you've got the historic legacy of stolen wages. Again, Aboriginal wages, earned wages, Aboriginal people going to work, earning money and and that money being stolen, um, again, by the government. Yet at the same time, there's this stereotype, this prevalent or... um, overarching, prevailing idea that Aboriginal people are lazy and don't want to work and can't get to work and can't hold down a job. And when you put all of those pieces together, I mean, this is the ongoing genocide of Aboriginal people. You're correct. That unconscious bias in people's minds and the stereotyping, but if you haven't been to a remote community, you can't understand what is actually lacking. You know, you're in a remote area, there is limited jobs, there's limited access, there's limits to education opportunities. There's lack of resources, lack of funding going into services. So when these all accumulate, it's the system that is keeping Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people oppressed from opportunities that people like myself have take for granted every day. That's right. And uh, really, just to um, from uh, Giselle's comment and yours, uh, if you look historically, um, you know, Aboriginal people have probably had uh, many billions, and I repeat, many billions of dollars worth of wages stolen or unpaid to them. Uh, but my question, really, we're getting to the end of the interview, for for unionists and, and um, workers in the in the big cities of of Australia, what can we do to actually uh, be in solidarity and work together with these um, workers? Oh, look, it can range from a various various actions. Um, most importantly, jump on the First Nation Workers Alliance website. So FNWA, um, and join the campaign, become a supporter. It's only $26 a year for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander union members and $52 a year for non-Indigenous union members. Um, All that money will actually resource the campaign for materials and campaign actions and organising for CDP workers. If there's an action happening in your workplace, if there's a rally, come along and attend, share the information, um, get on our Facebook, share our posts, get educators on what is actually happening here. It is not a development program. It is a program that is exploiting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workers in this country. Well, thank you for that, Laura. Um, um, and uh, certainly, will um, I'll bring it up with my with my own union and, and see where we go from there. Lara, thank you so much for your time on the program today, and good luck no with worries. the continuation of the project. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it.
That was Lara Watson, the Indigenous Officer of the ACTU, formerly of Queensland Council of Unions. And of course, Queensland Council of Unions was um, instrumental in um, leading and running the stolen wages campaign in Queensland. It is 27 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Current. That's right. And for once, Giselle, we're not uh, rushing around and talking at a thousand miles an hour and saying we've got to go. We can actually just take our time and, and say... Uh, We've brought you another uh, program of... Uh, well, first of all, I'd like to say, I mean, what Lara was talking about, what I think is just... Um, shocking is probably a... Um, uh, understatement. Qu- understatement. doesn't quite um, really say what the, the, the terrible conditions that these um, Aboriginal workers and their families and the communities... And to, and to think that she was saying that um, they don't even have time to do sorry business with those, those, those very basic cultural... Um, uh, responsibilities. I mean, as people say, it is part ongoing, continuing genocide, and that's why we as labour activists have to be in total support and solidarity of them. All right, I think that's 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 my paid uh, announcement. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. Asia Pacific Currents will be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. Of course, don't forget it's not too late to pay up for Radiothon. It's not too late to pledge. So please do give us a call on 94198377 or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate to contribute to this year's Radiothon. And it's all from me, um, Pierre Morrow. We'll be back next week. And me, Giselle Hanna, and stay tuned to Palestine Remembered. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.